Hi, everyone. Matthew DeLine here, and welcome to the Playful Experiences podcast. Uh, I'm your host for today, and with me are Ben and Alex. Uh, thank you for coming in and joining, uh, joining me today. Uh, we uh, apologize for the delay in getting the podcast up. We've been very, very busy with our end-of-term projects, yeah. uh, and uh, we just wanted to take the opportunity here to share a little bit uh, about that. Uh, because everybody's not here, uh, we're hopefully going to get a chance to chat about this with other people in the coming weeks, either over Skype or otherwise. But if not, uh, we will be mentioning some of the things that we've been really enjoying playing uh, that some other people have been making, uh, uh, as well as discussing some of the games that we've been playing. So sort of following the format that we've had recently, I uh, so want to open things up by talking about some of the games that we've been playing recently. Uh, maybe to start the conversation this week, I'll talk about the fact that I've been playing Horizon Zero Dawn, which has been on my list uh, for most of the year. And what's been really interesting is sort of very early on uh, in the year, there was a uh, event at yeah. the V&A Museum called Parallel Worlds, uh, which I went to last year and I went to this year as well. And it's a series of talks uh, that are given by various developers from all over the industry uh, that discuss about their experiences creating uh, their games and uh, the things that they've been working on. Uh, last year had a very big focus in virtual reality and uh, AR uh, sort of experiences uh, and narrative in games and uh, some really interesting stuff. But uh, I, I saw a presentation, one of the, one of the talks was by a member of the development team on Horizon Zero Dawn, and they went through this process of what it was like to create the um, uh, the tribes that they had. Okay. So, like, say, for example, you start off the game as a member of this Nora tribe, and they went through this process of what it was like. Okay, well, we started off by putting a lot of, and for people who are listening that aren't familiar with Horizon Zero Dawn, it is a... I'm not sure about it either. Yeah, so what, what's, yeah. is it the one with the big animal? It's like a big animal hunt yeah. with robots, kind um, of, or... Yeah, so, uh, so, so, so as someone that was uh, obsessed with dinosaurs uh, growing up, this was uh, very exciting to sort of see. So it is a, without, uh, with doing as best as I can not to spoil the experience... Uh, it is a action-adventure type title, uh, open world, uh, meaning that you'll gather resources and sort of put things together that takes place in an apocalyptic future that may or may not be on Earth. Um, it's explicitly, you'll find out later, but uh, at the beginning you're not sure exactly where you are, where there is a series of metal machines that act very much like animals, and they've got sort of social behavior and really interesting things, and uh, people in, in, in this future post-apocalyptic world have learned to hunt these machines. Um, so the game basically sort of takes place in this tribe that uh, you know is trying to find ways to appropriate the uh, mechanics from these giant machines that look like horses or uh, little dinosaurs or like different giant creatures in, in weird kinds of ways uh, to uh, continue to survive in a world that has been sort of broken to some degree. Um, and my experiences thus far have been really positive. I, I like the game quite a bit. I mean, again, sometimes like I feel like it was weird because it came out around that time that uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild came out, and it was kind of either or for me because yeah. uh, at the time I was I was in a van for a couple of months. But like, yeah. Uh, so, uh, but like, um, I, I I I I don't know about you guys. Like with open world games, sometimes I get uh, I can only do one every once in a while because they tend to sort of just be big, huge, sprawling, open experiences that take forever to play. Yeah, yeah. you want to lose yourself in it 
Yeah. We, yeah, so I couldn't imagine having two on the go. Yeah. Because you're kind of thinking about those games all the time, even when you're not playing them. Yeah. You're kind of thinking of the places you haven't been yet when you're looking for a particular thing. And Yeah. Yeah, yeah so similar vibe, really, yeah. yeah. I find I don't actually end up completing the game because it, it just absorbs me and then I... Okay. I have to get on with something else and then well, put well, it down and then I don't come back to it. What was what was the last game that you played that was like that? I think it must have been Fallout. I know. Okay. Fallout uh, Four. Four probably. Okay. Yeah. Oh, was Four? Wait, what was Three and what was Four? Was it's Four more recent. So Four's the one that is. So I haven't actually played Four yet, but I just picked it up. Yeah. Uh, so Four Four came out about uh, two years ago. Prior to that, so so there is so there are I think five main games in the Fallout series. So Fallout yeah. One and Fallout Two, which were the original sort of top-down isometric perspective games. Yeah. Uh, then Fallout Three was when uh, the uh, license or the property was purchased by Bethesda Softworks, who makes the Elder Scrolls oh, yeah. games. Yeah. Uh, and brought to a more three D world. Uh, and then there was a game after that called Fallout New Vegas that was built by Obsidian. Okay. Which is my personal favorite of the uh, of the lot, um, but uh, that was sort of like based on the same engine that Fallout Three uh, did with some tweaks, uh, and it had its own sort of story that took place in the American Midwest, like near near Vegas, basically. Yeah. Um, and that was really interesting because it sort of had this really interesting social dynamic, and sort of it all culminated at the end with this really crazy thing on the Hoover Dam. Mm. Uh, worth playing if you get the time. I, again, it's a huge thing. And then Fallout Four, which I haven't taken play, I haven't played yet. I believe it takes place near uh, Boston. And that's the game that came out like two or three years ago, okay. or something like that. So, um, so 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 Alice. Might, is, yeah, it might have been three. It was okay. A while, it was a long while ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 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 what was so you you feel it was just sort of like you you got busy doing other things and then getting back to it was difficult. Why why was that difficult? I think for me at that time, like I've only just come back around to gaming again because like uh, my late teenage years, I was really into gaming, and then as I hit you know working life, yeah, um, I ended up actually losing the whole gaming experience quite a lot. Uh, which is a shame because I really enjoyed it but then uh, I sort of dabbled in Far you know Far Cry uh, Fallout Fallout was just that I think it was Fallout 3 was my first experience of Fallout yeah so that was quite because I heard loads of good stuff about it and I was like okay I'll try it yeah I really enjoyed it actually I, I started it and I think the thing with those open world games is like with Breath of the Wild because I know how the system works I've got an idea of the boundaries of what's going to happen but with Fallout 3, because I didn't have any idea how far it went in any direction yeah. in terms of what I was doing, I felt really lost and I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, I don't even that. know if I can commit to, to finishing this. Actually what happened is, I'm not going to give it away, but there's a, a horrible event at the start of the game yeah. where you leave the first place you start, I mean it's yeah. in a vault, yeah. so you leave the vault and this thing happens and like the whole build up to that is every choice you make has an effect yeah. and then this thing and happens just... where no choice you make could have changed what happened and I, yeah. I know it's, it's very clever but I just got annoyed I was like oh well, well I, I, I still remember sort of like I mean I, I guess it's been a long time so so neither of you guys finished the game mm -mm. no Okay. Um, it seemed unfinishable. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, okay, so, so so I quite like the game in, in total, but I do remember, and I think they may have come back around and changed it, but like when, when, when it first came out, there's the most... Oh, God, I don't want spoilers. So, like, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's hard to talk about, but, like, with that, with that said, uh, even if you guys don't mind, I don't want to spoil it for the audience, so they're going to yeah. go back. So uh, there, there is a moment at the game where it's just the, the logic 
for how the end of the game occurs just makes absolutely no, no sense. Okay. Um, uh, ba- basically, okay, well, there's a member of your team mm. that has immunity to radiation. And your character basically goes in and sacrifices himself in a radiation chamber right. to save the the team or whatever. But like, there's this guy that's sitting right there that could have done the same. <laughs> the so, so I, 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 apologies for 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 spoiling the experience that anybody's played that hasn't played it yet. But like, it's just it's ridiculous. So, I, I take that sort of like that that is an example for me. Yeah of how not to wrap up a story or how to be careful yeah. when sort of thinking about uh, what what the things are that I'm doing, like at least try to play devil's advocate to some degree. How is the team flexibility in that game built up whereby you might not have that person with so, you? So that's, that's, that's the case. That, that is possible. Oh, you don't right. necessarily have it, but they haven't built in a condition in which that ending... Uh, or would in, obviously alter. Yeah, I mean, like, would obviously alter because you've got this radiation immune friend right there that could have just totally gone in and done the thing that you basically sacrificed yourself doing it's yeah. like it's really silly like uh, I, for sure. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know so yeah, yeah with the, yeah exactly so sometimes seeing stuff like that happen in games where the writing is so good mm. uh, just drives me because I feel like it was it was a decision that was made because they wanted to get that result yeah and I think that that maybe is probably one of the big problems with writing these interactive stories because like if you say you have a start point and an end point you have to get to that end point everything else is sort of flexible in the middle but if you've got those two fixed points it's hard to sort of get from one place to the other and as we've been sort of experimenting with sort of narrative experiences and i guess we can talk about that a little bit after this mm-hmm. um because uh, both Ben and Alex, you guys were on a team of mine where we built a small game yeah. uh, dealing with narratives. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the things that we've really been learning about during this term uh, that I personally am really excited about. Like, what, yeah. what do you guys think? Like, telling I'm, stories. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I, yeah, I've not had, like, I think normal, it's called Normal for Norman, this project that we worked on. And I've not really worked on a narrative style game before. I've done lots of games which are much more focused on the kind of gameplay, not a lot of story implemented in it. So it's quite interesting to do that, but I haven't had that experience before. Okay. So it's all kind of learning. Well, can, can you describe what it was that you learned during that experience about telling stories that you didn't know before? Um... I suppose it was interesting to see how little we had, we, we weren't required to spell out the whole narrative. We could get, we really only gave like a small hint of the narrative in what you saw. Yeah. And that was enough to convey the whole thing. And I think it was a lot more satisfying than uh, what I probably would have done, which was written this whole narrative out and then tried to explicitly place it uh, in front of the viewer. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad, yeah, that we didn't do that. Yeah. That's probably what I yeah, uh, I mean, I think both me and you are on the same sort of level of like we really want to explore narrative, and we work together on that. Yeah, um, and it was really enjoyable experience actually, just because it it's finding that balance between making things explicit to the viewer. Yeah, and, and it, is it implicit? That's the opposite, isn't it? That's what I'm looking well, for. Well, like, it's, 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 you make things certain things explicit in a way. Yeah. That's obvious, and then you put subliminal messaging in with yeah. how you do the audio, how you yeah. uh, do the seat, like you put environmental cues, cues. Yeah, um, even just changing the lighting can change 
so much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really cool. So so to describe and it's nice that I've got both of you here so we can talk a little bit about this. So this this project that we're talking about, Normal for Norman, is a VR game where uh, we just did our final demo uh, a few days ago, and it's an experience basically about this man who's having trouble difficulty remembering the experience of playing his trumpet. And he's basically a trumpeter that's been uh, spending his whole life working with this and all the way back to when he gets his first trumpet when he's a child uh, to the point where later in life he's trying to remember this thing that's so important to him and, and sort of finding ways to tell this story. I mean, it was completely different from where we started to where we ended up. Uh, was a really good experience. This sort of idea of learning the uh, the iterative design process in practice, uh, because throughout the class, we or well, one of our classes, our sort of game design class, called approaches to play, we've been learning about sort of these these ways to structure projects. Uh, and I think that what was really cool was that we had the opportunity to really apply those concepts yeah. in this VR project. Um, so getting a chance to sort of tell this story uh, and learning what it was like to sort of take it from uh, its its inception, this idea that, that Alex had had. Uh, and actually, Alex, why don't you talk a little bit about that that initial idea so that people who are listening can know how different it is from <laughs> yeah, what different. we ended up with. Uh, yeah, so uh, Normal for Normal was originally a game concept that I had of it being inside a human brain. It was more conceptually like Inside Out like the Pixar movie so you play a certain character made up character that there's a whole world inside someone's head and you play a character and it gets invaded by uh, so this guy Norman uh, gets invaded by a parasite and you're, 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 it's, it's kind of going to be cartoony and abstract in a way sci-fi um, <coughs> of I can't really used to that describing things but um, yeah essentially you go around and you explore certain parts of the brain and the abstract version of that like say you're in the uh, audio part of your brain I can't remember exactly what lobe that is yeah um, and that does and, and the whole game is around that concept and then yeah. you move on to memory so the part where we are where we did what we did for our VR was to be in the hippocampus, right? Uh, which is so a smaller of part of the whole yeah. of this idea. Yeah, so it's like a very small part of the bigger idea I originally had. It, had. Sure. And then from there, uh, Matt, Matt, and then we kind of we kind of took it apart a little bit and focused on what really mattered in that and adapted it towards the our VR project. Yeah. Um, and we we very quickly changed it from from the early concept into a more mature kind of attitude towards looking at memory loss and, yeah. and, and um, situating in, in a story mm. where it's about a, an older gentleman yeah. rather than sort of a... Uh, Just an character. abstract yeah, character. Abstract. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think that that's what's really interesting about what... I'm pretty pleased with the result, mostly mm. because it really does some subtle things to sort of describe uh, this experience. Uh, again, virtual reality is a really interesting thing because it gives people the ability to create real memories in false environments. Mm. Um, so there's this idea that sort of memory is such a tricky thing. And I think we keep talking about this and it's because it's an idea that we were really interested in that's uh, such a huge part of human life and something that's so um, fragile. Uh, in such a sense that these ideas that these sort of chemical 
interactions that are happening within our brains are responsible for a sense of our identity. Um, and that can be sort of malleable. Like, memory is not uh, perfect. Mm. It, 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 it isn't. And uh, something interesting about this idea of memory not being perfect and not being in this real world but this facsimile of it, uh, when you put a headset on in virtual reality and you're immersed in an environment that's not real but you are creating real memories of doing things. Like, say, for example, in the game, basically, you're taking this trumpet and you're putting it together. Mm. It's like, hey, I put this trumpet together. This story happened. I was a part of this. However, none of that actually happened. I think it's exactly what we were trying to play with with the entire experience. So yeah. I think that that's, that's, that's what's really cool about that yeah. uh, and one of the things that I'm most happy about with. So um, uh, I, I think I think this is definitely worth maybe having a longer discussion, uh, but I do want to make sure that we get a chance to talk about a few more things. Uh, so uh, maybe we'll switch the conversation a little bit. Uh, we will maybe include some notes because we're thinking about potentially releasing the game in the future uh, to a wider audience. Yeah. Um, and if we do so, we'll put some more information on our Twitter feed as well. So uh, with that said, uh, the two of you are also working on another game, um, and I'd love to hear more about it. So, uh, Ben, why don't you start off just by describing what that game is? Okay, so uh, the game uh, that me and Alex are working on is called Pang, which is basically an extrapolation of Pong. So this is a well-worn uh, concept. So there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Pong clones or people that try and add elements to Pong, because Pong is kind of one of those games that is one of the first games you come across when you're a kid and you and you you kind of learn I, well for me anyway i learned um the first ideas about game design from pong yeah i understood the construct of the rules and you know the elements and i used to use this software called uh, click and play which was this uh, german software that they made for kids and it was drag and drop programming very similar to scratch uh, is now and it allowed you just to kind of make very simple games uh, and import your own graphics and sounds. Um, and I just made about 100 Pong clones. Of Pong. Excuse us. Because it may have seemed like there was a sharp connection there, uh, maybe we'll edit this out later, but we are recording at the university and somebody knocked on the door. So uh, Ben, if you could continue, please, uh, talking about click and play. Yeah, start going down a rabbit hole. But anyway, I made a lot, a lot of uh, Pong clones. I probably made about 100 Pong clones. Uh, during that time, uh, so that's kind of where I, I, I kind of took this idea from. And the idea of Pang, which I've been thinking about for about five years, is um, making a, a game of kind of Pong and but adding elements to it to kind of make it uh, gradually more complex as the game goes on. It's actually changed from that a lot recently, but um, it's a game which players uh, literally stand around a circular display uh, to play. So um, one of the ideas behind that is that usually with local multiplayer games, uh, video games at least, you tend to be staring uh, towards a display if there's a display involved and you're all facing the same way and even though it's a very kind of interpersonal experience, you're kind of talking to each other and there's a lot of cajoling, you're not really seeing each other. So the idea of this was I was hoping, and I'm, I'm not sure of the success rate, but that you would have a more kind of personal experience of being facing your opponents and being able to kind of see their expressions and reactions yeah. as you play. Um, <clears throat> and I think there is actually a lot of other tabletop indie games uh, out there as well that, that were going for the same thing. Um, so anyway, with Pong, you have this, uh, you have a ball and you have paddles, very much like Pong, but these paddles 
are controlled by the two twin sticks of a controller, so you can kind of move and angle them and stretch them yeah. uh, to different angles and lengths. And the idea being that we're kind of trying to add to the control so the player can spring the ball off in any direction and maybe add speed to it and decrease speed to it. Um, and that's the basics of, of the game so far. Yeah. Um, the, the kind of the longer uh, goal is to create a basic framework of a game that we can always, and this is the true of any game really, but a game that you can continually add rules to and constraints and different actions yeah. and prompts and stuff like that, all based off the framework that kind of remains pure, but you can stretch and, and, and change it in, in different ways. So that's what we're going for. Yeah. What have been some of the most difficult challenges that you guys have encountered? And I know this is a really broad question. Mm. And uh, we've, I mean, my personal experience, I've seen it twice now. And both experiences have been really fun. Like, it's mm. nice to see how you move from one version to the other. Um, but I'm curious if, if, say, for example, there was a, a, a major challenge uh, trying to get this off the ground. Um, like, say, for example, when you had to find that square display or... Um, you know, functionally getting this working uh, that uh, that you solve that you'd like to share with people that are listening. Um, yeah, there's there's a number. Uh, like so, for instance, from a technical perspective, uh, the circular display was the trickiest thing. I initially initially had this idea of a rear projection table, which I'm still working on. Me and I have kind of been coming up with ideas for, but it, it seems a little tricky to do because uh, the idea was always meant to be that it was going to be a meter wide circular table that you all stood around. Um, but I found uh, a, a company that I used to work for had this old square display that they don't even make anymore, but it's been sitting there for four years, so I got <laughs> lent that, um, and I cut a circular piece of wood to kind of make it appear like a circle, and that seemed to work so nicely, kind of, as a midpoint. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the main challenges. The other main challenge, and I know Al probably feels this acutely, is that I am not good is at conveying the ideas that I have in my head. So Al's had a bit of a tricky time <laughs> trying to get me to relate exactly what I intend to do, what my intention for the project and, and, you know, and working with him, he's managed to draw those out and get his intentions for the project in as well. And we've got a really solid path. But I, I know it's been a bit like pulling teeth for Alex for like the first. <laughs> um, I don't think it was like that, actually. Oh, really? I have a, different, oh, a slightly <laughs> different take on that. I think yeah. that... Um, I think for, with a, any game developer or any person who's what has an idea in their head and they want to express it, mm. it's actually very hard. I find it really difficult myself because as a musician, I, I actually find it more easier because I've been doing that for years now to, to actually convey what it is about music that I want to uh, right. try to do. Um, but it's just years and years of experience of that, and um, as you just get more experience, you become more confident in how to express things. Uh, obviously our classes at the moment are really getting to know the theory behind game design, so it's actually working out really well, I think. Um, my difficulty at the start was what what can I do to, bring, to help this project at this current time? Um, and I think now it's kind of got to the point now that we've, we've angled both of our things together and yeah. sort of met halfway and sort of we know where we're going with it now yeah uh, so the initial starting point was uh, because obviously I'm not a co I'm not I'm learning how to code and there's no point in me jumping onto the actual game mechanics when I'm really inexperienced in it so 
at the first hurdle was to sort of help with you trying to express what you wanted out of this sort of arcade cabinet mm. tabletop uh, design you wanted. So I went off and sort of did some blender models and stuff. And I, I just, it was more about just getting you to sit down and say, to say what exactly you wanted. And I wrote up notes, didn't I? So it, I think I got what I needed to get out of you straight away because I, we kind of met up. Yeah. And just, I, we were like, okay. I'll, yeah, I think I, I actually went through, like, okay, what do you want out of this? Yeah. And you were like, yeah. I want this, this, and this, and this. That was indescribably helpful. Yeah. Because that was the first time there was any focus at all. Yeah. My, I had like these. Like, you have about fun, three or four different ideas. Yeah. Fuzzy ideas yeah. in my head. Yeah. Like, it feels so right, but I know when you put them down on paper, you start to see them for what they really are. And yeah. Yeah. It really, I was able to, yeah, get through a lot of chat. Yeah. Because <laughs> then I could ask questions, like be devil's advocate almost, and say, okay, well, how would this work? And yeah. Yeah, so. I don't really know how game designers, or, or maybe it's just a different process, work solo. Uh, and maybe yeah. they don't. Maybe they always have the input of friends and people close to them. But I can't imagine. I can't imagine what the product would be like if I was just left to my own devices. Yeah. If, it, if it would even happen at all. Well, I mean, so so so. so couple of things that sort of like listening to you guys talk about mm -hmm. that really sort of sprung to my head. Uh, so first off, to answer what you're talking about, how game designers that work solo, uh, when I went to Adventure X during re Reading Week, the opening talk was by Dave Gilbert, who's of Wadjet Eye Games, and he talked about like uh, this idea of, uh, because he's primarily a sole developer, or at least works uh, alone for a good portion of the time when he's writing and sort of implementing codes, and he sort of showed these early versions of the game that he's currently working on right now with this sort of like stick figure dragon looking thing. Uh, I don't think that's actually what it is, but like with some final art and some not final and this stuff all. But but his, his, his uh, reinforcement of the idea to get a prototype up and running as fast as possible to sort of make sure that that's working, um, is part of that process. So I think that's sort of like, whether you're a solo developer or you're working as a group or, or, or et cetera, sort of like that's one of the takeaways from this term, at least for me, mm. that I think was most valuable with, was this idea that, hey, get something working as fast as possible so that you can play around with it. It's like, yeah. like um, yeah. uh, in our physical computing class, uh, we've got that, that tree that me and Billy are working on, and uh, we've got to the point where, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's got the, uh, so we're building this, this singing tree with a Raspberry Pi, and uh, it's connected to a coat rack with some aluminum tape and some, some cabling right now at the moment. But it, it's gone from this little thing that I had connected to pieces of, of aluminum foil yeah. to this, this amazing harp thing that you oh, can actually is. sit down and play. And like it is just, and seeing that come together, I love that moment. That moment yeah. of sort of getting things together, this idea within your head uh, that has been translated into a physical or a tangible uh, thing mm. um, is incredible and absolutely unreal. So um, I think um, so. I, 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 I think that, that over this term, mm. to a big degree, um, the, uh, the experience of learning how to make that happen, like Alex, as you were saying earlier, you're a musician, you've had uh, years of experience of translating these ideas of your head or within your head into sort of music or yeah. into sort of like a, a, a tangible thing. And as we're learning in this course, this idea of um, bringing together this process, because my, my experience back is, is with uh, writing. 
you know. Yeah. So it's it's one thing to sort of sit down and write notes, and I, I learned this process over years and years and years, and I'm I, I'm learning that this process is such an extraordinarily complicated, collaborative, and interesting thing. Yeah. Uh, that I don't think I, I, I would have learned it as well any other way. So, I, I mean, I, I don't know, how, how, how do you guys feel about where you are now versus where you were three months ago in terms of taking those ideas and translating that experience? And, and, and again, it's sort of like, it, it, it's, it's up to you. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like I've only just, I think only in the last week, I've got to the point where I get over the hump of actually it's like the feeling of basically if you're kind of in a pool and then finally you find the ground of your feet. Yeah. And you start yeah. to find balance and you can actually do things that make sense. Yeah. And we've had three months and we've looked at stuff and we've done a whole bunch of stuff, but I've only felt any sen- kind of sense of control in the last week. Yeah. So yeah. It's taken that long to... Yeah. Well, when you think about that, that's yeah. also an extraordinarily short, short period of time. Yeah. This is a difficult thing to work yeah. with. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, and it, 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 is, it, is, it is difficult because there are so many moving parts that aren't necessarily explicit. When you think about like, okay, well, I'm going to go build a game. Right, and the nice thing is that there are so many great tools that are available now uh, that didn't used to be available. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, say say for example things like the Unreal Engine and Unity and um, uh, Scratch and all kinds of really really good tools for people that are just looking to get into game development um, and just sort of play around with. And and I think sort of like finding the idea or learning the structure of how to do this kind of stuff like hey uh, we've got a prototype we've got to get things up and running fast as possible we have to structure a narrative we have to uh, make sure that the game feels right we have to do all of this stuff and concurrently especially with like you know I know at least a few of us are taking quite a few modules simultaneously sometimes it feels like you're getting pulled in all different kinds of directions so um, I so I, I would I would say I, I totally understand the pool analogy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you put it that way, but like I mean, it's nice to sort of be able to sort of look back and say, hey, we've we've done something. Mm. You know what I mean? How, how how would you guys agree? Yeah. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me was how much the, the prototype could just change, and then suddenly it becomes an identity in itself, and it has it's a living and breathing mm. like it's it's thing and you just say okay this is cool this has got a vibe now this is kind of taking on its own personality yeah that's that's the best feeling actually is to is to get to a prototype where you sort of it's, it's you've got the main game mechanics to, it feels like it's doing something but it hasn't really got a personality and then when you take it from that and then actually you just chip away at it and then suddenly oh wow it's, it's actually you start to feel like it's an actual yeah. game now. I feel like in exactly that in that sense when you get your prototype it doesn't become it's not just you're not attached to it in the same way like where before so Pang had an idea for five years I was so certain about how everything yeah. should be yeah. and then as soon as I had the prototype and the distance from it and seeing other yeah. people play it I could then be like I was not precious about it at all and I was ready yeah. to listen mm. to and you get willing to just chop huge chunks away that you were right. so certain were integral to the yeah. to the spirit of the whole thing and then you can be like no that, that doesn't make sense and I can see that now yeah. and it, you're right it does have its own personality yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's like, but it's almost impossible to see that without actually having it built mm, right yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. the crazy thing and that's why that's such an important thing to know and, and, and again sort of like that's, that's why I was saying for me like that's my biggest takeaway from this first term was like learning how that experience worked and sort of making sure and, and again 
there, there, there's a difference between sort of axing things just because of the way that people interacted with it versus finding that you need to make things work better. Yeah. Right. So, so I would, I would caution people from saying cutting things just because they don't work versus changing things. So, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree, but then you do, you do kind of before I. Um, I imagine that I would hold on to things so dearly. Yeah. Uh, well, and yeah. So you, I, you kind of work with it, but you realize the point where you're like, this is unworkable. Yeah. And as much as I feel like I would love to see it in there, but it's a good lesson because like yeah. it gives people the opportunity to learn to let go. Yeah. 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 Because sometimes you just need to, and yeah. I, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Like if <laughs> you, you know, it's 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 for me that that process like was something I learned outside of games, but was probably so, one of the most le- important lessons I've ever had to learn in my life was yeah. learning to let go. Yeah. Phoenix, the tutor, did this thing. Well, I think one of the very first lessons we had with her was she was like, "Who's got a great idea for a video game?" And everyone stuck their hand up. We were so excited to share ideas, <laughs> and she was like, "Forget it. That idea is dead. You'll never make it." <laughs> right now, think of a new idea, and, yeah. um, and that was galling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, but but important though, you know what I mean? Like, and again, so 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 it's not yeah. it's it's not necessarily that that particular. Um, it's 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 forcing us to reframe our thinking in yeah, a certain way, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I think that's important, you know what I mean? So, uh, so guys, uh, bear with me for just a moment. We're going to take a short break here uh, because we're getting kicked out of this room. We're going to move to another, uh, and we'll be back shortly. All right, and welcome back to our unplanned break number two of the podcast, uh, The Perils of Being in a University uh, Where It's Very Difficult to Find a Quiet Room. So we're in a room right now where it's just us. It's a little echoey, so uh, excuse us if the audio quality at the moment isn't great, uh, but we'll do our best to work on that later. Uh, And speaking of letting go of ideas, we're going to let go partially of the past topic, and I want to open the floor to Alex uh, to talk about audio for a bit. So... Uh, Alex, why don't you uh, bring bring us in a little bit more on on some of the things that you wanted to share about implementing audio in games or things that you've really enjoyed uh, with that as well. Okay, so, um, yeah, audio on games is very different to um, what I'm used to with normal stuff that I do uh, with audio. So I'm I'm a mix engineer uh, and a recording engineer, uh, so I generally do... Uh, live recordings or recordings in studios and then mix at home and yeah. sound really nice and work with the bands. So it's mainly for an actual song arrangement and stuff like that. It's not, yeah. uh, I haven't done any sort of sound design as such. Um, I've done a few producer type, uh, like production type roles in my mixes, but nothing like recording folly and writing for games um, yeah very neat to me so um, I kept so on the on the, the Pong Pang game um, I worked with Ben on the audio mm-hmm. which was actually a really fun experience yeah. for, for both of us yeah um, I deliberately made it very limited in my resources so I kept it to uh, a synthesizer and a all analog um signal chain so I went had a I've got a, like a my mate's a keyboard player and he's just got loads yeah. of analog synths stuff you can dream of it's like wow um, so he's got like a Moog loads of Moog synthesizer and I used a Moog sub 37 
Okay. I don't know what it's um, so it has many different oscillators, and it's got a sub oscillator, hence named sub 37. Um, so you could do very interesting sound effects just using the synth. Yeah. Uh, if you just manipulate the. We spent like a good hour and a half just going through all of the different sounds and kind of like tweaking them. And, yeah. Yeah. So, so oh, cool. My concept was okay. That's because uh, it's just an arcade game, really, and. I had a brief, I took a brief of Ben of what he what particular sounds he wanted. Uh, so he described it as like I want. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I kind of wanted it to have uh, the um, when you go into kind of arcades these days and the kind of music and sounds you hear, they're they're ramped up above what you would normally hear in a normal video game. So they are intentionally more anxious and more uh, I don't know exhilarating. When yeah. you, play, you hear lots more kind of high whoops and kind of a speed, the tempo's a lot faster and stuff like that, uh, or at least it builds very quickly. So I wanted to kind of bring that kind of uh, anxious excitement uh, of the music you hear from there. And um, yeah, so that was kind of my brief, but then you kind of... Yeah, I sort of took my experiences in the audio world and sort of go, okay, so for example, um, uh, some of the noises, you described for um, how the, you know, he wanted the pad, so the paddles, uh, when the ball would hit, would flex out and flex in, and he wanted a pitch custom sort of sound. Is that that kind of the yes, that kind of noise that you guys have going on? Yes. So yeah, so like if it, it's like a, ba- well, originally it was like a bass bit, it's like a nice percussion hit, but the, the wider you stretch the paddle, yeah. adjust the pitch kind of within the program. Yeah. Um, so what I, did was uh, with the synth I kind of just made you can make you know you can adjust so many settings on it and the, the biggest thing with synths you can do is is adjust the filter yeah of the, of the various oscillators and then you can adjust the attack release and sustain and decay of the notes being played so you that's like it's once you get into synthesis you can really create Fast amounts of different sounds just by manipulating about three or four different yeah. things. Um, once you get your head around that, then you can just do whatever. Um, so my chain was just analog synthesizer going into a really nice, uh, really analog, like a. It's a. It does. If anyone knows this, it does like a. It's an API um, preamp that I go through, which has a nice distortion. Is this the space? Was it no, called? so that's my uh, oh, effects right. chain. So I have like, an, like I had two two chains. I had like the analog synth going into a preamp. Is that right? So um, yeah, so um, so I had my analog synth going into a, a preamp that I could adjust the distortion mm-hmm. with, uh, which sounds great on synth. And then I had um, that going to my sound card, and then I auxiliaried off. Um, which means basically duplicating the signal and taking that out and going into an effects chain. And so it's all around my way to a Roland RE, what's it called? It's a spec, so it's a classic reverb and delay unit called yeah. a Space Echo. Oh, cool. It's made from 19, it was heavily used in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Uh, has a spring reverb on and it has uh, tape delay, so it has multiple tape heads that you can manipulate. So what, what kind of sounds can you make with something like that? 
Um, so the, the initial thought was, okay, I'll have this little setup so that I can then change various like uh, effects on it. So if he wanted an explosion sound, then I could uh, quickly get up a percussion sound on the synth and then have a reverb and delay on it. So it creates that kind of big sound and yeah. mix between the two. So I could do it all live, basically. Yeah. Uh, rather than rely on the software. Yeah. Because uh, I'm kind of going back on myself now. Like I'm not trying to rely on the software to do everything and have everything recordable. It's like just to do things live and spontaneous. Yeah. Which actually worked really well. I thought. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I could, um, he had the game up, and we, you know, we, uh, for the uh, you know when you pressed A. On the, oh yeah, when the you have a no, join join sound. That's so great. Join sound, for example. Uh, we officially matched when I played the key and I got the time, uh, like the glissando of the note. Yeah. I matched it to, like, he would press A and I would yeah. And we chose, it was kind of like doing Foley in a video yeah. game. Yeah. So I was literally kind of doing it and like, we were looking at each other, so I'd hit A and then he'd play the notes at the same time. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, which is a really fun way of working, actually, and it kind of made sense uh, to do it like that. Um, yeah. And very quickly we gathered all the sounds that we needed within, what, three hours? Four yeah. Hours. yeah. And then I did an extra editing job, which took another two hours or so. Yeah. And by the end of the day, we had all the sounds we needed, plus backing, backing music. Yeah, we've got three amazing tracks of, of backing music that I'll put together in just those two hours. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. which, is, which sound fantastic and really just add to the kind of, exactly what I wanted, the kind of tension of the game. Yeah. But I would say, I'm so glad that we made audio, a, a, you know, we st that that's been, because I don't think about audio when I do interactive work. Yeah. I know you should, but I just, it yeah. comes to my mind. Yeah. So having someone that can kind of focus on that and, and like things I wouldn't even consider, like the, the thing that you kind of put forward is the, is the importance of, well, not the importance, but how good it can sound if it remains analog when you record it. Yeah. Um, and we're trying to keep as much in that kind of vein. Yeah. It just sounds night and day when yeah. you kind of play it back. It so. kind of suits the whole vibe of what we're trying to do with Pan. It's like, yeah. it's, it's meant to have that arcade feel, and have, but have that kind of analog feel, so. Yeah. Because that, I mean, that game audio came audio. from the analog scene, you know, it, 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 yeah. it began on an oscilloscope, do you know what I mean? So right. it's from that era yeah. of kind of analog waves and stuff like that. Um, so it's a real nice callback to, yeah. I, I'm, I'm so excited to see how that turns out. Like, yeah, I mean, I've I'm been really, 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 really happy with sort of like the little bits and pieces and the, the teases <clears throat> that we've had in class, sort of seeing what that is. But, <clears throat> uh, you know, one of the best experiences I ever had in arcade was a four-player air hockey game. And I think that this is just taking that to another level. So I'm really excited about <clears throat> that. Um, so uh, with all that stuff that we've been talking about in audio, uh, and uh, I, I would love to know, Alex, how that experience differs from the experiences that you had with Jade when you were building the environmental oh, audio yeah. for Normal for Norman. Because I'm really curious about how that worked because you were, you guys were, were off in your own sort of section yeah, doing yeah. that like yeah, when, yeah. when we were working on the rest of it. So like, because I, I, it, it comes together so well, like it really does. Like, and when you talk about sort of like all these different components, uh, and I know we're sort of jumping back to where we were originally at earlier in the episode, um, but you're, te you're telling story through not just explicit narrative, like Ben, you were worried about sort of like going that way, mm -hmm. but through images on the walls, like the stuff that uh, Etze and Doruk uh, built to, sort of, I was talking to Etze 
uh, about sort of how she created these uh, the, these these black and white images that she had taken. These sort of like uh, you know freely available black and white images, mm-hmm. uh, sort of stock images that she has distorted to give the impression of unclear memories and like just 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 that subtle effect uh, is so effective. And I think that for with that reason that 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 environmental audio that you got. Uh, that you guys, uh, you and Jay created, um, is so just spectacularly good at telling minute stories. Yeah. I would love to know how you guys did that. That that was quite an interesting one, and me and Jade really, really uh, worked well on that. Um, I felt just uh, initially, I was like, what, I, what should I do for this? Because uh, I had no experience before. And straight away, we kind of got in a conversation of what story are we trying to tell? In, in, yeah. And I think that's the most important thing when you uh, when you concentrate on other areas of your game. So yeah. most of the time you concentrate on game mechanics, right? Yeah. But once you leave that depart from there, and you've got kind of got the mechanics working, is to get the imp- um, is it implicit? Is that the word? Like. Well, I mean, so so, so sort of like think, think, thinking about more sort of like explicit. Sort of storytelling would be something that's in the face. So, so you're you're saying something explicitly, meaning like, "Hey, that's a red thing." Yeah, versus showing a red yeah. thing. So mm-hmm. it's like subliminal messaging, really. Mm-hmm. Right, or something more subtle. Telling a story within for other senses of for the player. So right. obviously audio, visual, uh, and you and you put that in your environment. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the big and it makes a huge difference so for example right so the audio uh, so the uh, so for that game we're in a room um, and you want to split the audio off into two things so there's a window uh, that has the outside world going on so you want to you want to express what the outside world is doing as well as what the inside world is doing so we then very quickly decided okay we'll have two separate environmental tracks going on yeah around that so we then decided to tell a story of for each particular timeline room so we've got a child's room an adult's room and a care home room right so we we then thought okay what where where are these located so for Mm. then so then we discussed okay the child's room would be you know, maybe, maybe uh, it could be a middle-class background that you're in the suburbs. Mm. Uh, and when you look outside, we've got a uh, garden with some kids' swings and stuff like that. So we then we sort of took that story and I got uh, went on a website, which uh, instead of because we didn't have time to record ambient stuff. Okay, so so uh, where was I on my train for there? Uh, child's room outside, so you were picking sounds. So yeah. what sounds were those? So it's trying to tell a story uh, through those sounds. So we chose it's going to be in the suburbs. Uh, what kind of sounds do you hear in the suburbs? So it will be mainly uh, birds and um, animal noises and some light traffic and uh, maybe some airplanes going through, maybe someone's gardening next door, so you have a lawnmower. So we decided then to take individual samples from a royalty-free website, Folly website. Um, so I've got maybe 20 individual samples 
like uh, maybe a minute long loops of uh, birds and other and maybe very short like literally two or three seconds of little noises here and there yeah and I went took it all into logic 10 and then arranged a, it must be about two and a half minute folly kind of thing of all these bit pieces all joined together as a story yeah so I like uh, it would move from I'd have like two or three different files of birds and various natural noises and what, what did you use if you don't mind me asking what program did you use to attach these things together logic uh, Logic 10. Okay. Uh, the, the DIW. They call it DAW, so Digital Audio Workstations. Okay, cool. So you can use the, like Logic Pro or uh, Cubase for, for um, Windows. And there's various various music software out there. Um, so that allows me to obviously mix all these audio files down. I put, like, also, I spent a lot of energy on making it ambient, so putting some reverb really relaxing backing off uh, with EQ the subtle like uh, for example when you're out on the window uh, it, the, the volume of the outside world would be EQ'd because you've got a wind you, you're inside so and EQ you, means equalized right? yeah equalized so say the files we got uh, was very high like it sounded like you were outside with these files yeah, like for, like when there's birds and stuff, mm. it's like you're outside. So there's a lot of high frequencies and stuff like that. So I rolled off a lot of high frequencies, rolled off a lot of low frequencies to get that kind of uh, or that kind of mm. middle middleish sort of sound come through. Is like, that method just trimming the peaks? Off or um, I mean that's not what it'd be called. So fr so with frequency, so our hearing range is from twenty. Hertz all the way up to 20,000 hertz. Yeah. That's the human range of hearing. Um, and when you mess around with EQ, you're messing around with different sections of the, that frequency range. So yeah. I, if I want it less high end, then I'll roll off. I'll cut down the high uh, range of that file. Of the and that would muffle it slightly to give the impression of it being inside. Also. Yeah, so you can manipulate just by using EQ mm. how you want that sound to represent yeah. like it could be it's more like a filtered because obviously when you're outside uh, and you're inside it's hit it's most of the sound is getting reflected off things and only coming through for like through a filtered kind of channel right because you're not going to hear it as clear as it was exactly, if you were yeah. outside because you're in a building yeah so it's really looking at the subtleties of that and trying to relate that and trying to match that so i had headphones on and then got Jay to, to double cross it, um, reference it, to sort of get both our opinions on it. And we must have spent an extra two hours just getting those subtleties right with the volumes, with the EQ, a bit of reverb as well, and just mixing in so it really created that ambience. Yeah. Uh, so we told the story not only just for using folly stuff, like the inside environment, what's going on in this building. So. Uh, so, for example, the child's room uh, is, y you know, you would expect that your kid uh, with your parents around. So, yeah. So we had, we sort of wrote a storyline of uh, the parents getting on with their daily chores. So we had hoovering, bit, yeah. uh, bit of uh, putting the washing, washing machine on, stuff like that. So all these are little events, I call it audio kind of cues, I guess. 
um, are going on in and out for about two and a half minutes. This is really interesting because we actually, I'm sure, man, I didn't realise the depth that had gone into those two. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's meant to be subliminal. So yeah. Yeah, when you take spot, taking attention to it, you'll hear, like, for example, the cow home, we took uh, random conversations with elderly people that we yeah. found on uh, YouTube and yeah, that's archive sites. Like oh, it's, archive. It's, it's, it's amazing. Standing, like, I, remember, I, think, I think the first time that we were sort of developing this together and we're standing out in a, in a room, you had implemented the environmental audio even even before we had implemented the shifts. But I think the first like maybe 45 seconds, I just stood in one place and listened. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so within Unity, the room that we set up, there was a door in one corner and a window in the opposite. And uh, it's very, I mean, it was very simple to implement, but we put an audio source just behind the door and an audio source just outside the window. And with, uh, with VR, because you have binaural audio, or at least stereo, actually. Is it binaural in that respect, or...? It, you can make it binaural. I'm not very technically know-how on, on that sort of thing, but... That's more how it's recorded, binaural isn't it? Binaural right. kind of a bit of a weird black art thing to me. Yeah. I don't really get it. But, um, <laughs> it's, it's basically uh, trying to emulate 3D space yeah. Oh, yeah. by manipulating so left and right channels. It works, it works better with headphones, so you can't really right. So, so binaural would be sort of positional audio with just the left and right channel. Yeah. You get those crazy yeah. microphones, don't you, with actual human ear models yeah. like carved into them to perfectly recreate the canals yeah, of the exactly, ear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that that that. But the fact that you could walk up to the door uh, and and hear through the door what was going on, and then walk up to the window and just hear it kind of a bit clearer from the window yeah. oh, was so an cool. awesome effect. And, yeah. But because of what was there, it matched completely. You don't. It just translated perfectly into your brain. Yeah, yeah. It made perfect sense. Yeah, I mean that's the whole mm. point. I think when you when you're concentrating on on volume and audio for your games, is to really kind of like make it as realistic as you can. Um, in terms of what this world you're trying to create actually is, mm -hmm. like when you like when you sit down in a park, for example, mm -hmm. there's a lot of sounds going on. So yeah, it's all about the detail. So look at the yeah, look at what sounds are going on. So 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 even, by it, yeah, sorry. Uh, even just sitting in a room that's quiet. Yeah, like we mentioned this, didn't we? When, yeah. we, when we were putting the sounds in is that there is sort of a, like you'll hear little hums and little frequency things of just devices in the room. Yeah. Like, um, or just general, and it's actually quite hard to make that. So what, to, em to emulate that, I sort of took weird, like just noise, like just like white noise. Yeah. EQ'd it and, and brought the volume all the way down, like where you can, barely just make out this white noise. Yeah. Um, so it's like... <laughs> yeah. Doing that. Yeah. Really have it really subtle and it and you can hear it. Yeah. Like, but it's that softness that comes out. Yeah. It's funny that you have to recreate that in VR because you hear that anyway. Yeah. Naturally. Yeah. yeah. But you still need to hear it through the headphones yeah. when you kind of... Well, I mean, it's that idea of sort of being in a virtual world. That virtual yeah. world has to sort of link up to what we're expecting and to yeah. some degree. And again, sort of like, I think realism to some... Uh, realism in that sense means that this has to make sense for the world that we're creating. And as humans, we're expecting these sorts mm. of things that unconsciously we are, uh, we're hearing all the time. And if that goes away, it becomes really weird. Yeah. And people notice that. That um, noise as well, I imagine changes 
exactly based on how large and tall and echoey the space yeah. is, even yeah. if it's perfect silence. So if you're in a very small space, it's actually much more dry. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is, this is super. <laughs> cool. I mean, it's one of the things that I, 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 I love learning about this kind of stuff because it's just so, so, so cool to know that there's just that the fact that you're sitting here thinking about uh, specific noises yeah. that go into a room is, is, is. You know, like what 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 I feel is part of a big reason why games are special, mm. uh, because there's so much that goes into it um, that you wouldn't expect. Uh, that that really takes uh, into account the experience that the player has, mm. um, and there's so much thought and, and and sort of like it's 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 incredible that we're able to sit here and have this conversation that I don't think we would have had three months ago. No, you know yeah. what I mean, to a big degree. Yeah. Um, and I, I can't wait to see what kind of conversations we're going to have in six months. Yeah. yeah. You know, three months or, or two weeks or, or whatever. But like, <laughs> uh, so, so with that said, guys, we're, we're almost at an hour. Uh, there's a whole bunch more that I want to talk about. Uh, so we're hoping to get together for another podcast soon. Uh, maybe with some other people from the group. We may have some Skype callers in. Uh, I know Tommy had been mentioning, although he's not going to be here during the break, uh, that he may try to do a Skype call in. And I don't know how we're going to make that work, but maybe I'll have my phone next to the recording equipment. Uh, but we'll play around with that and see what we can do. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, it's been an incredible first term. Um, it's, I, I, I hope you've been enjoying following us along on this journey. Um, if you've got questions, concerns, or uh, you know, things that you'd like to share with us, uh, please email us at contact at playfulexperiences.com, or you can find us at Twitter at underscore experience play, where we'll be posting some more information about where you can find the work that we're displaying. Uh, in the future, we've also got a Tumblr, playfulexperiences.tumblr.com. Uh, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you've been listening on SoundCloud or iTunes or on uh, Stitcher, uh, please leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Uh, thank you so much, you guys. Okay. Okay. Bye. Cheers, bye.